light bulbs on, we are going to discuss launching a new fund in DeFi. Um, and let me invite on the man of the hour, Ash Egan. Um, Ash has uh, been an investor for a long time. Um, I first met him as uh, as a part of Accomplice, but just before that, he'd been a part of Consensus and uh, a fund or two previously. Um, we had a talk a couple of years ago, just after I met him, where he sort of talked me through his view of a world that was going to have you know more base layer contenders in it, and um, that would be a conversation that I would think about for some time. I think I've said on this podcast before that um, I went into 2020 thinking that was going to be like the base layer year story. It was going to be like the Nears and the Harmonies and the Polka Dots uh, versus Ethereum all battling out to see who could do the best smart contracts. And um, that was in no small part informed by my conversation with Ash. It was informed by some other reporting I'd done and just my general interest in that kind of drama, I think. And I also just like the smart contract space. Um, didn't quite turn out that way, um, but that doesn't mean that that day will never come. Um, and uh, regardless, since then, you know, Ash has made some more strong investments out there. And uh, and I recently reported in Coindesk, uh, along with TechCrunch and some others, that he's kicked off a new fund called Acrylic, and that is a specific reference to the paint, which I like. Uh, and uh, so we're here to talk to him about that tonight. Uh, Ash, are you on? We're here. Hey, man. Great. Brady, thank you for having me. Yeah, man, my pleasure. I love the intro. Welcome. How are you feeling tonight? Uh, I'm feeling great. You know, super excited about the public launch and, you know, obviously the awesome job you did in covering it and the ability to just share sort of the story. Um, But I think, you know, this is something I've been doing for the past six or seven years and now very excited to build a firm entirely dedicated to early stage crypto investing. Yeah, and it's been a a week this has been public, right? Is that right? Yeah, just about 7 days. How's the first how's the first week as a as a fund runner been? Uh, it's been I mean, thank God I love doing this. <laughs> I mean, it's been so hectic but so fun uh, you know, building out the portfolio, thinking about the team, building this, you know, platform and refining our theses and, you know, branding it. Just all, it's, you know, you're running an early stage business here. I'm still very much so a startup. And so thinking about a lot of the things of how companies get from zero to one, you know, uh, trying to get that jump started with acrylic with, you know, obviously a great list of existing investments going into the public launch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congrats. Um, so I just want to say really quickly, we've got some, uh, some folks joining us here. We got some good folks joining us here. I mean, you're, you're all good folks, but there's some folks I know in here, which I'm, I'm happy to see. Um, so, you know, we usually do, uh, on light bulb talks is, uh, we kind of talk for a while, sort of whatever feels natural. Um, and then I sort of open it up. Um, folks are welcome to request to speak anytime. Um, but it might be a, a little while before I bring you up. Um, just a note, and I'll try to remember to say this again at the end, uh, but this is a part of the SpaceCasts podcast now, so I record these, so we're, we're recording now. If you come on to speak later, it'll be recorded. That'll go onto the podcast, probably. Sometimes I cut them. Um, but uh, So just you know, expect that. I'm letting everyone know right now. Um, so, so cool. So um, Full disclosures, I'm saying everything is not investment device advice. Okay, yeah, sure, yeah, not investment advice. All uh, of these are disclosures. Do do your own research, uh, which is always good advice, regardless. Um, yeah, just because Ash does it doesn't mean you should do it too. Um, but um, so, okay, so uh, you know, I wrote the story about what you have got here. You know, you basically raised some money. You already have a few investments out the door. Um, I want to talk about those. I want to unpack those a little bit more than we did in in my story. But first, you know, I have been uh, reporting on investments for maybe just slightly longer than you've been making them, not uh, really maybe seven years. I'm not even sure. Actually, maybe it's like roughly similar era. Yeah, right. Um, And but 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 the difference is, you know, I don't feel like I I feel like I'm only recently starting to get a handle on what 
just kind of how complicated it is to be a VC. You know, I think I think I think people look at it and just like you got a pile of money. How hard can it be? Like people want it from you, but. Um, <laughs> But so, like, maybe you, we could start there. Like, what what is the, the challenge of running a fund? Because I understand it is it is it is it's easily harder than people think it is. You know, what makes it tough, and what don't people get about running one of these operations? Yeah, I think there's so many different strategies in traditional VC and crypto VC. You know, sort of these hedge funds and, and sort of the crypto investing world. I think ultimately, though, if you sort of look at best-in-class uh, investors, are you thesis-driven or are you reflexive? Meaning, you know, are you sort of reactive to the things that are coming across your desk? And I think you can have that sort of happy medium between the two. But, uh, you know, if a thesis isn't playing out after a certain amount of time or you're seeing the market sort of act differently and that's more to the reflexive side, you know, you have to make adjustments as a firm. But where I'm focusing is at that sort of early, early stage of, of sort of protocol company building. And I think this is something that's going to take, you know, sort of years uh, to develop and, and whatnot. But um, ultimately, it's for me, it's about sort of being that first round of investing and not worrying about the ebbs and flows. And so there, you're going to have so many different other strategies. But, um, you know, the hope is this entire market is going to grow. And I think there are certain models that are better model sort of better uh suited to fit the upside that um i mean we can talk about all of these but and i and i feel like i'm rambling out here <laughs> so i'm gonna pass it over i'm gonna pass it back to you well so i mean one thing i think you're saying there that about what makes it hard is there's a lot of ideas out there and especially if you're trying to get in early with folks then you're probably even open or maybe even eager to find you know, a guy who, or a woman who has a day job and an idea and a PowerPoint, or maybe not even a PowerPoint, they're just kind of, they started, they've maybe hacked up a, not even an MVP, but just like a, a pathetically viable product, but they, they have a, a conception. So you've got to find those folks, but there's a, there's a, another, there, there's a pile of folks out there also who just are th- kicking around ideas all the time just because they hope someone will give them a pile of money and then they won't have to worry about cash for a few years. Um, and so I think that's one of the first things is how do you find people who very few people know about, but also have good ideas, right? I mean, h- how does one go about that? Yeah, I, I think for for me, sort of what you're really asking is around, you know, sourcing investments, finding the founders that yeah. you're backing. Um I think there's a bunch of ways, you know, I've, I've sort of over years, just over the years, looked at where the step functions of innovation were, you know, looked at the ERC 20 standard, look at 721 and just looked at sort of the activity around these standards. And so these step, these almost step functions in, in innovation, you know, the introduction of stable coins, like what companies are going to get built around that uh, step function of innovation or that like sort of massive shift here. Um, and so I think for me, it's, you know, angel investing, building connections with some of these companies that are built around these sort of massive shifts in user behavior in a breakthrough and a new protocol design, whatever it may be. Um, you know, I think that's where you're going to find the outsized kinds of opportunities, want companies that can capture these sort of generational shifts. Uh, I mean, Ethereum alone, Bitcoin alone, you know, these are sort of these, ma- these are considered these massive step functions of innovation. Um, but, you know, in terms of finding these companies, it's going to be seven years uh, investing in this space, just, you know, having goodwill with founders uh, and, and sort of getting referred uh, interesting opportunities and the likes. It might be, uh, you know, other funds that I've co-invested with, you know, have been doing this for a while. So uh, have probably co-invested with every fund in the space, Um you know, I think I'm seeing even LPs, uh, you know, they've done some crypto stuff in the past or they have, they've worked with Web2 serial founders and they're saying, hey, this person, you know, is thinking about starting in the crypto space. It might be, you know, students, uh, you know, being close to these universities, having lived in Boston, you know, having gone to school in New Jersey so it's, and living it's, in New York now. It's, a lot of it's just the people network is how you... It's are- the people, but it's also tr- sort of tracking these massive shifts of user behavior, uh, you know, these breakthroughs, I think just yield farming alone, right? Like 
uh, AMMs, you know, sort so of you, like the unlocking of this potential uh, new market. So you need your finger enough on the pulse to know kind of like what's moving and what has potential. And then you yeah. have people network to find folks who are doing interesting things in that area. Yeah. And yeah. the, other, the other thing I'd be curious to hear you talk about, I don't know how much you can talk about this, but like this is the other thing which I feel like it's finally sort of started to come clear to me about investors in the last year or two um, that I didn't really get before. I feel like I'd heard stuff about it, but I didn't really take it seriously. But I, I, I some folks have sort of talked kind of honestly to me about it. It's just that, um, you know, even having, a, you know, you've got a pretty nice size fund to me, at least it seems pretty big to me. Um, and, and that's great. Congratulations. But like, um, but there's so much money looking for a place to go out there in the world right now that it actually is a, it's kind of a battle to get into these rounds, right? Like if you find something that you're really excited about, probably you're not the only one and, and you've got to like hustle to get in. That, that, that's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I do think there's something special about being that first term sheet, you know, the first person who's going to price a company, a protocol, whatever it may be. Um, and that I'd say as a core strategy, that's what I'm, that's what I'm focusing on. But you're right, you know, and, and that's been, I think, competitive rounds. This has been something that's happened since, you know, 2015 for me. That's when I started investing in the space. Uh, you know, I, I've taken the mindset that if it's something that's so compelling and you're putting in a non-core check, a smaller check to build out a relationship, you know, you're, you're sort of trying to invest in a company at, sort of as the process is rounding up. And you work your butt off to increase, you know, sort of the, the capital invest in that company and, and really help uh, shoulder to shoulder work with these founders. And I think just like the genuinity, being authentic, uh, being an early supporter, just being, uh, you know, just like that outsourced team member, you know, that's the goal. And I think that's where I'm looking to differentiate amongst this sort of swath of crypto funds and the likes. Um, but but just to put it in, like, to, to really, like, say it clearly, I mean, it is true, and tell me if I'm wrong, but, but like, th there's a lot of instances where investors are like, please let me give you more money, and folks are like, no, this is as much money as you can give me, right? I mean, that's, like, <laughs> that's like real, right? Totally. Yeah. But, but I also think it depends. I just don't think normal people get that, which is, like, it just seems wild, you know? Sorry, it keeps going, but it just, it just seems wild, right, but you that, know? It's the, it's the same in, you know, it's not just crypto investing, right? It's It's... Uh, there's a whole tech scene, right? I mean, that's, that's yeah, right. there's a cross yeah, tech. Yeah, yeah. Is, I mean, you could, ex yeah, you could expand it to anything sort of venture capital and private equity related. Mm -hmm. yeah. But yeah. I mean, there's, that's a hundred percent. There's a lot of capital that's being recycled. Uh, you know, it's going to go back into the ecosystem. You have liquidity that's come about. I suspect it's going to, you know, grow the whole ecosystem. It's, being, uh, you know, sort of put into these ecosystems, you have, you look at the developer count, you look at smart contract usage, you look at integrations and, you know, Bitcoin as this global reserve asset, you look at Ethereum and, you know, sort of its growing presence there. Um, this space dessert, you know, I think, and then you look at the talent. And I think if you look at the talent, it's outpacing uh you know, sort of the size of the capital pool. And in my opinion, the potential opportunity, you know, there's plenty of more capital that, that could come into the space. Um, I just think this platform, this technology has a larger potential than, than the internet did. No. To yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I, I just, um, I think, and I think for you, I'm t probably talking about this stuff and it's just like, it seems so in the water for you, but I, you know, it took me a long time to get this. And I have a feeling a lot of regular people also don't get that this is sort of this is the challenge of venture, venture investing. It's just like, it's a challenge that like, it's just hard for the rest of us to like comprehend, you know, which um, it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting framework. It, it took a long time before it settled in for me. So, okay, cool. So, um, you know, let's talk your book uh, because I think that actually is interesting and worth doing. Um, can you take us through some of your greatest hits? Um, I was just looking at them a minute ago and there's some good things. I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's worth, you don't need to do it as sort of bragging. There's just some in, 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 interesting companies in yeah. here and talk about sort of how, what your thinking was at that, at that moment, you know? Yeah. Let, let's, uh, let's go back in time. So for me, in my investing focus on crypto started after reading the Ethereum white paper, I thought smart contracts were just, you know, sort of natively 
tying compute and value was a fascinating concept. And even just the examples listed. So that's when I'm, I was sort of like, all right, this is a space that I need to just absolutely go deep into. Um, ultimately, invest in chain analysis at the end of that year in 2015. My thesis, and so this, you know, I didn't lead the round. I was, I think this is a good example of just being a smaller check and, and, and working your butt off for these companies. But my thesis was so simple back then. It was if this is going to, if sort of Bitcoin is going to be adopted as an institutional asset class, it needs a bridge between, you know, regulators, sort of like the traditional system, et cetera, and what's happening in crypto. And that was chain analysis. Um, this is the seed round back in 15. Uh, went over to consensus on the on the venture side. Uh, this is 2017. There were these crazy, you know, ICO rounds. There were layer one rounds. There were 60, you know, 60 million bucks, 30 to 7 million, 70 million bucks. Um, I wasn't playing that game. I was looking at, you know, where are people not looking? I was thinking about what's next and all these things. And so met Zach Prince. Uh, his his sort of thesis was, I'm going to just help all these people who have made a ton of, you know, have crypto wealth and just can't take out cash loans. And it was just a personal, you know, that was sort of um, something that everyone is asking about. And then I looked at the category, but it really wasn't until I met Zach where I was like, okay, this guy's special and Flory as well. Just that, you know, co-founder combo. What part, like we early 2017 or late 2017? This is, this is like mid 2017. Okay. Okay. This is when the markets were hot, but you know, all of the investors were looking at these massive rounds. Um, and, you know, I think and they were was, buying tokens, right? I mean, yeah, it was there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and folks probably know, but just in case, so BlockFi is a, it's real simple. It's just, you know, you've got crypto that has value. You can post it as collateral and they'll give you a loan um, and, you know, in cash. And it's just, a, it's just a lending company. Um, but, but uh, you know, 2017 is kind of the time at which, People started to just be like, oh, holy crap, I can't believe what my Bitcoin's worth. And, you know, it started to make sense to do things like that. And, of course, that's also the year that we had the first – well, not the first, but the, the, the last all-time high that, you know, really got people talking. Um, so, yeah. okay. So, so, so yes. And, and, and just to paint some uh, – like just like one layer further, I was at consensus at the time. And at the point, I think we are at like 1,000 employees. I, I was like 300 and so it was a period of like, you know, four months we scaled up massively. A lot of people had done very well. And so it was, they caught lightning in a bottle. Um, and this is a thing, you know, I sort of talked about this at the start of, of the last episode too, is the virtue of borrowing against your crypto is if you're a believer, like if you're an Ethereum hardcore, um, you know, you're making a nice income at a place like Consensus or some crypto startup, uh, but you don't have it quite enough to do whatever it is you want to do, you know, buy the house or whatever, but you're kind of on paper rich with ETH or whatever, and you, but you don't want to sell it because you believe and you, that feels like a betrayal. Uh, lender, lending is, an, is a way that you can get, you know, do something, but you can still hold on to, to the thing that you believe in, right? It's a part, another part yeah. of the value. Well, yeah, so it started as borrow, then it, you know, then lending. And the BlockFi interest account, now the credit card, you know, now obviously they're doing a bunch of other fascinating things. Um, so that's all kind of foreshadowing DeFi too. I mean, this is sort of like. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This was when, so Compound was raising its seed. And um, no, I remember really well. It was, you know, should have probably done both investments, but um, ended up doing leading block buys around at consensus. So just a and then, quick, yeah. quick aside on that. I just, I think back on compound and how important it is now, you know, I did the first story at Coindesk about compound. I might have the first story about compound. I don't know, but the first story at Coindesk about compound for sure. And, um, oh no, because TechCrunch did it one at the same time. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter who cares. Well, I mean, I kind of care, but, um, but the funny thing about compound, I just, and this is, you know, it was smart on Robert's part, but like Robert Lesher, the founder, when he was talking about it to me and to everybody, you know, he just described it as a way to do shorts. He was like, oh, you can just borrow a token from us and then you can short something if that's what you want to do. And he just kept it really simple in that way because it just, it, just to take people back in time, it, it was really hard for people to comprehend back then that you would really want to like, do borrowing and lending in the way that we think about it in the rest of the world. And so he, he like couched it all in these trading terms, even though I think he was pretty sure it would be bigger than that. 
because he just knew that people wouldn't understand it, you know? So it was just like, oh, you can, we're a shorting platform, you know? It's just funny to think back on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of these visions have evolved, uh, you know, from 2017. And I, I think at, at that point, um, you know, consensus was an incredible experience, made a lot of really good friends. Uh, that was such a fun time period. I just, I was sort of thinking, you know, I want to get to a place where investing is the sole focus and, you know, consensus was doing a bunch of things, obviously investing being one of those, but, were you doing uh, things besides investing? I sort of thought you were an, in, an in-house investor at Consensus. Yeah, exactly. I was. Oh, okay. I, I, okay. But it, that's exactly what it was. But I think it's like, as you think around, what are firms' core focus? What are companies' core focus? <laughs> consensus uh, did not have one at that time. Yeah, right. Look, I, I love my experience. <laughs> I can say it. it. You don't need to say it. I'll, I'll say I, it. I, had a, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I feel lucky to have worked there. But I think I was thinking around like, all right, you know, where can I, um, you know, where can I ramp up sort of like what I really enjoy doing? I think I want to, I wanted to back really ambitious founders, not necessarily building in the Ethereum ecosystem directly, uh, you know, and, and, and I think Accomplice was a fantastic platform for the past. And that's, you know, I continue as a venture partner, but over the past three years and partnering with a bunch of different you know, layer ones, DeFi protocols, sort of, you know, supporting infrastructure equity investments. Uh, we can, we can run through those, but. Yeah. Maybe just, how about we do Mina and Nier and yeah. cause, cause those are two are kind of funky and interesting. Why don't you talk about those two? Yeah. So I, I think, uh, you know, um, zero knowledge proofs, this is they're sort of researchers are making breakthroughs, on you know over the past few months, few years, I mean, it's been remarkable seeing the technology improvements on, on what you can do with zero knowledge proofs, and that's really what Mina is capturing. You know, they they're just they have. I think my thesis across like all of these layer ones back in eighteen, you know, nineteen, even in twenty, was is there a differentiated uh, you know niche or angle or you know sort of way that they're looking at solving this problem of building a, you know, decentralized compute layer. Um, and I, and I saw that in, you know, how Mina was thinking around privacy and, you know, sort of, uh, being a scalable blockchain like this, you know, succinct blockchain. Could you say really quickly, like how they do that? Cause it is pretty wild. Yeah. You're basically using receipts. Uh, you know, it's like, you don't need to load an entire history of, what's transpired when you actually have the receipts of these things. You can just minimize the size of the actual blockchain into, you know, the size of a tweet. Um, and, and it's, so, it's a crazy thing where if you, you, you can, you, I mean, probably the average person wouldn't know how to do this and it doesn't really matter. But like, if you wanted to run a proof, you know, like seven transactions ago, did this guy have this amount? You still can. And the proof would be like, yes, accurate amount. But you don't actually need to hold on to all that data on every node or really on any node. It, it just, it's the, the truth of the record is maintained through a, through a proof system that is, it works through, you know, crazy, you know, uh, hive mind level math, which is, uh, super impressive. Yeah. And, and I think I just love like the bottoms up, how they built their community, all these things. It's initially was, folks who were just fascinated by what's happening with zero knowledge proofs. And then it grew to, you know, new things that you can do with, uh, Mina that you might not be able to do with other chains. Like where is accessing? Yeah. Right now. Like I, I know it's kind of, it, I, I really have failed to continue to report on it. Like I wanted to, I was interested from the start, but, um, yeah, I mean, I did want, I was super (laughs) interested in it from the, my first story on it, but it just kind of hasn't happened. But like, I I know it's sort of live or like what's, what is going on right now? Yeah. So I think, uh, just thinking around these blockchain or protocol launches is like different stages. You know, it's like, uh, building out the ecosystem, building out the community, you know, ensuring that you can go through multiple test nets and actually launch and be sufficiently decentralized. You know, I think, uh, thinking around the application, like what are the applications? Like what can you do with these things? And I think Mina is doing some really fascinating, like the teller integration. Uh, you know, they're talking around the ability to 
get sensitive information or like your credit, you know, your credit score, whatever it may be, and actually use that for applications and build, you know, just this more, a more internet native kind of application, but that's also, uh, you know, sort of the ability to query sense more sensitive information because of this zero, zero knowledge proof type format. But is it, is it fully live or is it like in? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I feel um, like when I first covered them, they were thinking really in terms of like light mobile level payments because, you know, every yeah. wallet could be a node every, you know. Yeah. Um, is that kind of still where they're at or is that evolved? Yeah, I think I think that's if you think through like the application suite, just, you know, Venmo and the ability to run a node on your phone. Um, I think just building out the UI, building out the tooling, building out all these other things is that sort of next chapter and what they're focused on right now. Um, and people can, people can run like kind of active nodes and earn Mina from doing that. Right. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have a laptop. I've Docker set up. Yeah. We're running it right now. Oh, you, you do it. How hard is it? It's not too difficult. Okay. I mean, just like, you know, being, knowing sort of like command line interface, like knowing simple functions, um, yeah, but look for the, I think for the more interested, you know, the zero knowledge proof type background or interested folks, they're gonna they're gonna go through those steps. But I think for your, you know, let's say your average DeFi user who's, it's maybe two steps versus like eighteen steps, right, to figure these things out. Okay, they're not going to be running notes tomorrow. Right. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and then near the, the friendly, the friendliest blockchain. Um, <laughs> yeah. So these like Ilya and Alex, uh, ex Google, ex Facebook, brilliant. Uh, just like, you know, and obviously all of these, the Mina team, uh, you know, near just brilliant people intellectually. Um, I read their white paper and I just was reading through how they were thinking around sharding and sort of like decentralized, like how do you scale compute? Um, and I was like, Oh my God, this is brilliant. So I reached out to them. I was in, I was living in SF, but I was actually in Boston at the time, get on, got on the next flight, uh, saw them and was like, guys, like we really, you know, just need to work with you. Um, and they've, you know, they've they've gone through a bunch of different steps. Obviously, Nier's live. They've built the Nier to ETH bridge, which I'm ex- I think it's great. Like that's if you're going to build one of these layer ones, you, I think just having a bridge, a workable bridge, is you know just so key on that checklist. Um, we can, what, yeah. What on Nier would be most helpful? You know, like well, application I, suite. I, that's I guess you together. know. What I guess the thing about well, so okay, so one of the, my thing about here, the thing that I like about them that I find well, I always kind of make jokes about it, but I actually do think it is a strategically interesting move that they've made. Is you know, I'm I'm serious when I say it's the friendliest blockchain. You know, there no one in tech ever uh, usually talks too much smack about uh, no no one has any competitors and and whatever, but like near is aggressive in its friendliness. Like it, it try it's, it'll integrate with everybody. Um, it says everyone's stuff is great. Um, it only wants to be a compliment in the system. It's not trying to make a big deal out of like, we're better at this or like, you know, Oh, they're really good. But like, you know, <laughs> here's 75 different concerns about them. This is, that is not in your broader strategy. They love to give a platform to other blockchains. They bring them on their podcast. They do their the, whiteboard the whiteboarding talks. sessions yeah. are like, probably the most informative thing in this industry. If you just like watch all of those, uh, you would be, you know, top 2%, top 5% knowledge. I feel like in this industry. So I think that is, uh, I mean, it just, it does stand out as a unique strategy. Um, but I guess it would also be helpful to hear from you. Like, you know, Ethereum is the dominant smart contract space. You know, uh, why do you think the world also needs near? So I think um, we're early. The pie is going to grow. Um, there are definitely some variables that I have a guess of how it might pan out, but I don't know exactly how it's going to pan out. I'm supportive of development across 
all of these blockchains, right? All of these public blockchains, you know, we need to get more devs in, we need to get more companies built. Uh, you know, we need more activity in all these things. I think we need to explore more use cases, you know, new kinds of applications, but I think let's just look at the numbers right now. You know, the number of wallets, the liquidity on Ethereum, the application suite, the, uh, you know, the sort of the, you know, commodity nature almost of it, just like, you know, the world looking at as you know, this is, this is almost on Bitcoin's level, obviously not there yet in terms of maturity and, um, and all these things. I, it's, it's hard to, you know, deny that, ignore it. Um, but, you know, I think it's great to see what's happening on the applications building on Polygon, Near, you know, Solana, you know, all these other areas. Um, ultimately, you know, are we going to see these chains communicate and the applications and, and users don't care as much about where it's settled? Is it going to continue to be siloed? Is compute going to go to layer two? Are these looking, you know, are they going to be side chains and et cetera? Um, all open questions. But ultimately, I'm excited to see just more companies, you know, more of these protocols and primitives getting built. Um, but I think right now I'm especially, especially excited about what's happening on Ethereum. Yeah. So, you know, the thing that has been a little discouraging to me in the last year or so is it does, and I'd be curious to get your take on this, but it does sort of feel like, um, I may say this a stupid way, but application innovation really seems like it's stopped kind of. And what I mean by that is like, um, you know, uh, near and polka dot. And what's the one that professor Sear does, um, avalanche, avalanche, you know, all, all of these interesting projects run by, you know, super geniuses, like from what I can tell, they're all they're all trying to be kind of mainly the other NFT chains with a side helping of DeFi, and no one's as as far as I can tell really trying to stand out and and do. And I don't know what it is, you know. It, that's not you know it's not my role, but it's just I, it's just they're all trying to do roughly the same things. They're just like, oh, we can do it better, faster, more securely, whatever. But it is kind of the same stuff, which is a little a little bit discouraging to yeah, me. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about I, that. I agree. Look, I think if I'm going to invest in, uh, applications, protocols, higher in the stack on other blockchains beyond Ethereum, I think it's gotta be a net new application, right? It's gotta be something you can't do or just a unique way of, you know, building out, uh, you know, sort of obsessed user base and all these things. But I'm seeing a lot of copycats of, you know, sort of name your X uh, protocol, sort of app, DAP, all these things for for new chain. Um, I think it's it's yeah. I, I just personally get less excited about those opportunities. I think it's you know about these net new uh, these net new use cases, and I still think there's a ton of low hanging fruit around what you can even curation, right? Like uh, even depositing dollars and earning yield in a automated kind of fashion, you know, programmable money. That's what a lot of this stuff is. Um, you know, social networks, you know, thinking around just being, you know, an owner of a network that you're using uh, sort of, you know, within local communities, whatever it may be. And so I think there's like a lot of really cool, interesting stuff that we haven't explored as much. And maybe it's on, I, I don't know what chain it's going to get built on, but, you know, looking at the data, it's, a lot of founders are still bu building on layer one. You know, they're building on Ethereum. They're going to build, you know, across a few other of these optimistic rollups, layer twos. Maybe they go to other chains as well. The thing that makes me nervous about the fact that I see so much copycat happening on these other, you know, probably really good blockchains is I do, and it could be superstitious on my part, but there's this part of me that thinks that, like, once you go down the copying somebody else road, it's really hard to get your head out of that headspace, you know, like, so that's what makes I think me that's just such a short minded. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like you want to build for years, right? Like it does, it shouldn't, uh, you know, bull runs, bear runs, it shouldn't matter. Like if you're going to start a company, start a protocol, 
you want to be doing it for years. It takes years to do these things. It doesn't happen overnight. And so I think just like if it's X for X and you're just, you're saying something that other people aren't, you know, it's like the, and then, right. Yes. Um, maybe there's something there, but you know, I think the copycats alone is just, just less exciting. If that's the end game. Do you think there's a, is there a chain out there that's really trying to, I know this is a thing that was really big at consensus back in the day. And I, I think, I don't think they've entirely abandoned it, but I don't, I don't think it's in top priority anymore, but and it still floats around out there, but it, it hasn't really taken off. But is, is there a chain that you see is really trying to do the Web3 thing, you know, to, like, give us the decentralized web in a way that is convincing to you? Yeah. I think Web3, It's I think it's so hard to define right now. Like, is Web3 DeFi? Is Web3 NFTs? Is Web3 the metaverse? Is just Web3 as simple as having a Chrome extension and moving it? you know, across various tabs. Um, I think like the web three vision is something so hard to find. I, be, I mean, what do you think? How do you, how do you, how, how would you define web three? Cause it, to me, it's like, it's just everything here, right? It's just crypto web three equals crypto. Oh, I guess to me, web three is like publicly available sets of data, but that is encrypted in such a way that only like, like the, the data is all out in the open, yeah. but it's encrypted. And which means that anyone who's given permission could build on top of that data. So, I mean, like the easy example to me to give is a Web3 world is when there's this giant data of shit for sale and 47 different UIs of different conceptions of Ebays that are making those products available, but perhaps are oriented towards different users or maybe specific chunks of products within that data, but they're all drawing from one common data set. To me, that's web three is like, there is publicly available data that multiple interfaces can be built onto, you know, relatively permissionlessly, or maybe with like low levels of permission, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and I think, look, you look at smart contracts, uh, that's that's a big part of it. How are the how are people using smart contracts? What smart contracts are getting a ton of usage? And today it's DeFi, NFTs, gaming, metaverse, right? I think it's already happening today across Ethereum and other blockchains. Um, I, I think it's also cool to see some like the Dapper Labs team has been brilliant around NBA Top Shot. You know, having done it with CryptoKitties and then doing it again a few years later, and I think just abstracting away a, a bunch of things for like an early user base for and, and frankly a more mainstream user base. Like, I think that was huge for the industry and, and got a lot of folks thinking around. Okay, you know, do we abstract more things away for the for the end user, or do we let the crypto native users you know continue to grow? Like from an education standpoint, um, that was that was cool. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
So I think most of the folks who are on here have been with us most of the time. So that's cool. But just in case you're just joining us, you know, um, I'm here with Ash Egan. He just launched his own fun called Acrylic. Uh, and that name is a reference to the paint because he wants to build layers over time uh, that create a, an interesting image. I think that's a great conception, but I'm also a fan of, of analog art. Um, I, I just want to say to folks, you know, um, if folks have questions or, or comments, I don't care. I, you know, there's always that thing where folks are just like, just please make it a question. I don't care. You can have a comment. It's fine. Um, but if you'd like to speak, you know, uh, just request to speak and I, I will let you up in just a few minutes. I want to ask Ash about two more things and then I'd be happy to hear from you. Um, and, you know, let's, let's open the conversation up a little bit. Um, so, Ash, the first thing I, I want you to just run through really quickly for me is some recent investments you've had. I'm always trying to like um, kind of be ahead of the curve uh, on stuff. And there were a few things on your list that I didn't really know what they were, even though I think I actually have looked a couple of them up before, but I don't remember. Um, so if you could just unpack them, that'd be cool. And they, the fun yeah. thing is they all start with S, um, swivel, saddle, and syndicate. So just give us the quick rundown oh, okay, of all three yeah, of these S's. Yeah. So these are, those were personal investments, uh, beyond. So, so syndicate is the, uh, an acrylic investment. Okay. I thought so. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Syndicate protocol. Um, the three S's. I love it. So yeah, two of these angel investments from prior to founding acrylic and then syndicate being an acrylic investment, uh, syndicate is building infrastructure for DAOs, making it frictionless to launch a DAO from, building an investment club, you know, uh, sort of like a sp- particular focus on, you know, some kind of theme or, or narrative. I want to join a weird DAO so badly. Yeah, I'm constantly like these groups of friends that like be brainstorming something and be like, let's make a DAO. Um, <laughs> Hot DAO summer. They don't know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They don't know what I mean. Yeah, Just a we're quick, living in it. quick shout out to myself. Last, our last session was with Orca Protocol, which is all about DAO governance and isn't quite released their product yet, but is, you know, putting things together. So, so okay. So those two things, those topics go together. I've been trying to unpack DAOs more on this uh, conversation too. So, okay. Syndicate helps you get DAO started. That sounds, that makes sense of the name launching, too. Yeah, yeah. Launching DAOs in a frictionless way. Great. What about Saddle? Uh, so Saddle is a, is a stable coin curve uh, AMM. You okay. Know, they make, they basically allow people to come in, earn yield on their stable coins and, and uh, you know, have a bunch of different partners and, and all these things. So uh, brilliant team. Uh, but yeah, again, not acrylic, personal investment, love those guys. Uh, so it's so a, it's yes. a, and what, what is, how do they, I mean, a, a curve is a tough operation to stand out from. Do they have a pitch on how they stand out from curve? Yeah, I think it's integrations. Um, you know, they're sort of figuring out more attractive ways to, to attract liquidity, uh, APR, you know, just testing a bunch of different things, but no question is, you know, curves sort of the grill in the room when it comes to stablecoin curved AMMs. And just a random thought here, but you know, I say some version of this, have said it for a very long time, but but curve speaks to me in terms of like what I really like about technology. And I think probably why being an investor is probably kind of cool. But like, you know, when you especially if you were there when curve was kind of taken off, you know, and, and I was as I'm on DeFi a lot of the time, it's one of those things where you're just like, why does anyone need this? I mean, because it's like the idea of Curve is that, like, it's very good at trading things whose value should be roughly the same, you know? And, you know, uh, the founder, why is his name escaping me right now? Anyway, he's talking about a super brilliant guy. I mean, he's, like, so smart that he has, he's, yeah. yeah, he's just crazy. But, like, he saw this, and it turns out there is a lot of demand for doing that. People well, and the just- concept is so simple. I think originally I was like, oh, they're like that, how large can this get? And it just, you know, sort of USDC's growth over the past, you know, few years, you have all these other stable coins, all, you know, sort of like these synthetics when there's just, yeah, an ex- sort of an explosion in synthetics and, and they've done a great job at being a very attractive source for liquidity and all these things. Yeah. You just, you know, pe- people need to move in and out of this stuff a yeah, lot. Yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah. I think open question is, you know, does that do other, uh, are other AMM designs well positioned to capture, you know, other chunks of that balancer, obviously Uniswap V3, I think is going to be fascinating to see how curve liquidity flows, especially Uniswap V3. And let me say the dumbass version of how curve works, but like, 
other AM, the sort of the, the pure AMM model is the price of the two things in the pool are just the, the ratio of the two things, uh, which, you know, really hurts your head if you think about it too much. But if you're, if you're putting things in a pool that are almost always the same value, um, you can, you can make that ratio, you, you can, you can make the curve just sort of basically flat across most of the full supply and it'll largely work out. And so that's sort of what it did is just like, it just, it, I don't know how it does it, but it just, it's, it's more of a straight line than a curve. It's the curve of curve that like makes those trades a lot more efficient. Um, because generally speaking, you're going to be okay doing it that way. Um, and so, which was a big insight and it turned out to be a really powerful insight. Um, so yeah, go curve. Um, okay. So saddle is entering, entering that space and others have as well. So that's, that's notable. And then swivel. What about swivel? That's the one I think uh, I have looked up before, but I don't remember. Interest rate swaps, building an AMM, haven't launched yet, have a test net. Okay. Uh, Julian Traversa is the founder, brilliant guy. So it's a way They're to trade in- investments? Like if you. No, no, interest rates. So interest rate swaps. So you well, have like fixed yeah. interest rates, you have variable interest rates, you have floating interest rates. Aggregating those interest rates and building a protocol to you know, provide liquidity across these various rates hasn't been, hasn't been built out yet. That you would, you, I guess I don't understand what you're. So they're aggregating. So you're getting, uh, you know, you sort of have like market data around what an interest rate is. You have fixed, uh, interest rates. So you're taking out a loan over a set period of time. You can take out sort of a variable, uh, loan, which is, you know, it moves as the market moves and all these things. And then uh, there's deltas. There's you know there's differences between what these rates are and their maturities and and different platforms that are offering them, especially the fixed rates. Uh, you know these fixed rate loans. And then you have sort of you can aggregate these rates across a very all these different protocols, all these different DeFi products, and aggregate it into you know a single AMM and, and interface. And so uh, they're they will be announcing a bunch of things in, in the coming weeks. Sounds um, like I should ha- that, that that all hurts my head really badly. So I should have him on, and we should. I know this is like yeah, we we talk, talk, I love this stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, we, we should talk. talk we should talk that through. Um, okay, cool. So okay, so um, then uh, I haven't seen anyone request to come on yet, but you totally should. But let me ask you. I can I can have a couple more things I could ask you about, or or we can wrap it up. But I don't know how much time you have. But um, but I have to ask you my. I don't, I don't know if you've listened to any of my prior episodes. You probably haven't. That's okay. I, I won't be hurt. Um, but this, this is my second time using Twitter spaces. I'm loving it. Oh, great. Okay. But I'll cool. check your stuff out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, no worries. Have, are you, have you been a clubhouse guy? Have you clubhoused? I, I, I was going hard on clubhouse. Early oh, really? On. Yeah. Was I it was helping like, you like get through, uh, COVID? I was like, what's up guys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a thing against clubhouse. I don't know what it was, but I just was like, <sighs> it bugged me. And, um, but then Twitter did the exact same thing and I was like, yes, <laughs> I'm yeah, so I'm trying to split my time nowadays. Okay, okay. Well, I'm but glad I'll to get be, more into spaces. I'm glad to be your second. So, um, so okay. So this show has a side quest, and I actually am a little bit optimistic about bringing you into my side quest. But we'll we'll see. Um, okay. But I did a story back before I was at CoinDesk um, in the ICO era about the useless Ethereum token, and uh, it's kind of one of my greatest hits. Um, and, uh, and you know, that the, the UET CEO was very, um, he was very public for a hot minute while he was doing his, you know, admittedly totally phony and wasteful ICO, which he was doing to make fun of ICOs, but he did really take money out of, um, and then he, you know, disappeared once it was over, uh, <clears throat> which makes sense though the website is still up. Um, and I have decided it's, it's this show's mission for me to find out who the UET CEO was. So, and I, I could, I could, I believe he's still around. That's a thing that I believe. Like, I think he's probably working at some startup or maybe even a founder. I don't know. But, um, do you know who he is? No idea. I feel like maybe, maybe we can torture someone in our listener base. And then they'll tell us. Well, that's what I'm but, hoping is just one day someone who's listening will, will like DM. Yeah. Me no, we don't even need to. Yeah, yeah. 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 I'm sure they would be very excited to, to share that. Yeah. But who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But, uh, do you remember that UET? I, I remember, I remember hearing that term, but no, I haven't thought about that in years. Yeah. He, uh, he only raised like $65,000, but $65,000 is ETH in 2017. So I don't know if he held on to even like half of that. He's probably doing great. Um, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. But you know, I mean, the, there's so many stories back then, just like the guy who sold everything and, you know, mortgaged out his house and, and all this stuff is moved, traveling around the world and just 
buying more Bitcoin. Right. And I remember just like hysterical stories. Yeah. So much that that. Well, this guy was great because, you know, like he, for example, had a counter on his, on his site, what it was the ICO was going that was like, he showed you how many flat screens he was going to buy at flat screen TVs <laughs> as, you know, people bid more in. It, it, oh, my God. It didn't get that much, but it, it did. I mean, for the amount of work he put in, 65 grand uh, was, a, was a pretty good amount. So, okay. Does anyone, um, do we, oh, we've got, oh, we've got requests. Sorry. I was totally lying. Here, I'm going to approve everyone who has requested. Um, and, you know, let's start with Catherine Wu, since I, I do know her. What's up, Catherine? What do you want to say? What's up, Kay Will? <laughs> Hi, Ash. Hi, Brady. Long time no, uh, no see. I know, man. You. It's a bummer. Yeah. Hasn't been conferences. <laughs> we always high five you at conferences. I know. I know. I never thought I'd say I miss uh, crypto conferences, although I will say being in Miami was a lot last month. <laughs> cool. Good. <laughs> um, okay. So I'm going to maybe give like a softball question, but I feel like it's important because, um, you know, in the past year, I think every day I'm either like reading about a new crypto fund being raised or, you know, some legacy non-crypto fund now apparently like super interested in crypto and wants to make crypto bets. So obviously, you know, it's a good time to be a crypto founder because there's so much capital and there are so many investors who are now like excited and curious and like open-minded. Um, so the question, I guess, for Ash, you know, which is that like in a super competitive funding environment, um, what should founders, especially crypto founders, look for um, in their investors? Or if you're feeling like giving hot takes, what are some red flags in a prospective investor? Ooh, <laughs> zinger. Zinger. Um, I love it. Yeah. I think the way I thought around building acrylic was I want to I design a firm and sort of start building something that can be that first round of financing, you know, sort of be that first check. It's like, Hey, you know, I got you. I'm going to be here for a while and I'm going to help you as much as I possibly can. And I think, you know, just the size 55, uh, you know, sort of being positioned to lead co-lead, just be a sort of a check in those initial rounds. Uh, it's meaningful for a $55 million fund versus, I think a lot of the market, it's hundreds of millions of dollars and all these things. Um, you know, chasing first stage opportunities where you got to prove a few things out, or you've already you know proved something out, or you've written something, or you just have a unique sort of way of looking at it. You know, you don't need to raise twenty million bucks out of the gates. I think a few million bucks um, if you're going to do that, right? Maybe you want to raise a couple hundred k or something like that. But founders want to work with people who have backed, uh, you know, like the prior wave of founders, you know, they want to back people who they aspire to be like, in my opinion, but in a non-competitive way, you know, they don't want investors who are investing in, you know, everything. I think it's a lot about specialization and all these things and, and just being designed and, you know, specializing in this stage is what I'm so excited about doing. And, um, I just think that's unique sort of value prop for, for founders now. And, um, yeah, I'm pumped. We'll see if it resonates. What about, uh, what about the danger signs side of the question? What, what makes an investor look dangerous? I was trying to, yeah, you can avoid I was it hoping that people would forget about it. <laughs> don't like, ignore my forgot. question. <laughs> I'm like you guys have blue check marks. Why don't I have one of those? Uh, <laughs> no, I think like when founders are talking about, you know, I'm going to do this and this and this, and it's just like a very, or it's reactive, right? They're relying too much on what they're seeing in the market. Like, oh, I'm going to do exactly this, but uh, but change that or not even change anything. You know, I think it's like reactive uh, founders or, you know, ones that just don't have, that are like, it just smells wrong. You're like, oh, I don't like this. And maybe you have, you know, direct evidence on that. But um, I think like founders with high integrity, you know, and just taking a long term view is so important. Um, there's so many like we can talk about the specific red flags, like what they're saying or what they're doing. But I think just generally, it's like uh, people are ill intentioned. Right? Uh, I mean, there's there's a bunch of them, but I think you know for the most part, people are are good willed and and want to do you know good things for the world. Uh, but some are short, you know, some are trying to take a, you know, one, one month, two months, you know, just take a sh- shortcut where, you know, it takes years to do these things. I'm going to go in the order I see folks. I see, uh, I see, uh, Scott, Jeff Scott Ward, 0XJSW, um, 
What's up? What's going on? Zero yo, yo. X. <clears throat> hey, Ash. Good to see you. Um, What's going on, yeah? And, uh, yeah, thanks for calling me, Brady. Um, you know, uh, well, one, I want to say a great question just before about, you know, who to talk to because that's exactly what I'm doing right now is trying to figure out who I want on my team. Um, you know, I, I definitely have kind of the OG crypto, you know, oh. black book to, to hit up for sure. And that's kind of my go-to. The infinite machine. Great yeah. shout out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, <laughs> I am that guy. Um, <laughs> you were in the book? Yeah, I was in the book. Yeah. It's a good book? I, was like, I like it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, if you yeah, folks don't know, it's uh, Cami Russo's book on the history of Ethereum, kind of up to, I don't know, a little after the ICO time. It's, it's, a, it's a fun read. Yeah, I was the... Um, sort of Mr. Robot character in the book of like <laughs> Occupy Wall Street. And yeah, I mean, like I literally taught myself to code because the economy collapsed and I freaked out. Um, cool. It's like one precarious character. Yep. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It was a great, it was cool to see that. Um, but yeah, no, I want to say what you said earlier, Brady, about um, uh, how People are like they're all kind of like looking at one source of truth, but then are um, building experiences for like a certain category or a certain type of user. Oh, the Web3 thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I'm a Web3 guy. And uh, that is exactly what I'm doing. Um, so, bang, bang. so Rarible, um, you know, they have their, you know, protocol now, um, as well as, you know, the market that they've already built. And I'm building um, an augmented reality NFT marketplace on top of Rarible. Um, because, you know, AR being so new, like it's such a wide category that like, you know, you have face filters and interactive and audio and like mini game. It's just like, it's so deep. I was like, this is a whole category. No one's even attempted to touch it. Yeah. Um, like Pokemon go style or like using the, f- your phone or yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so the phone, um, and, and here's the kicker without a native app. Um, cause there are, there is like Vive and, you know, some things out there, but, um, I'm trying to get that like sort of single, like, was it like time to interactive, like, like how little, you know, you need to interact with an application or to get to that experience. And I figured out that, um, Apple has like kind of this custom banner button thing you can put right into the AR experience that you can fire directly from the web browser. So you can like kind of you know, um, projects the augmented reality model, like, and immediately hit the buy button uh, and, like, fire off a Web3 So is this, like, you could be in an NFT Walmart anywhere you are? You're just, like, if I want to fire up, if I just want to see a bunch of NFTs right now and, like, walk around and look at them? Yes, like exactly. Okay, cool. That sounds yep. neat. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it sort of just illustrates exactly what you were saying is that, like, you know, um, NFTs are just a standard and depending on, you know, what front end you're talking about, um, you know, you can kind of cater to an entire audience. Um, and I actually do maybe have a parlay of a question behind this is that um, because I have the design background and then taught myself to code and then yep. the smart contract layer is handled by Rarible, I am sort of being extremely stubborn in the fact that I can almost literally build out the entire front end myself um, but uh, probably could use some horsepower and knowledge in the like 3D, you know, tooling and just you know that whole space. Yeah, um, like an X Pokemon Go. Right, right, exactly. Um, um, so I'm going to um, think on that. I there's definitely people that could be interesting. I don't know if you're going to find the crypto overlap, but I don't right. think you have to. Yep. It, it's almost like it's um, really an AR company that yeah. uses crypto as a backbone. Are you, are you so? Is it a Polygon, or are you like fronting gas fees, or or what are you? How are you building? So, that part? so Rarible actually has lazy minting, where you can upload the assets to IPFS and not actually have to do anything on chain until someone buys it. So that's you know definitely lifted a huge part of this off of my back. Um, but yeah, just as you would. Super you know, cool. I yeah. love it. I'm gonna. So. I'm gonna hit you, <laughs> Jeff. Yeah, I DM'd you already because like, I was saying congrats. Oh my god. And, yeah, yeah. I appreciate but. that. I'm like doing my best to respond to every. <laughs> I'm saying like 24 hours. I'm responding. Well, right, when right, when right. Uh, when folks hear this on the podcast, if if you've got if you've got 3D expertise. Um, uh, Jeff's got some got some use for you. Um, all right, let's let's go to a couple other folks, and then we'll probably wrap this up. I love it. Keep, Thanks, Jeff. 
Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's go to um, Chungus Capital, a DeFi team. What's up, Chungus? If I said your name wrong, I'm sorry. Hey there. Hi. Hey. Apologies in advance for the robot voice. Oh, okay. I cool. value my privacy greatly. Yeah, that's great. Uh, no questions from you, Ash. This is great. First, what are your thoughts on the Oracle layer? I've been reading up on the new Chainlink white paper. And if I'm reading it correctly, they appear to be making a play to go beyond price fees to become the privacy company. Oh, man. Okay. What's what's number two? All right. So Oracle okay. layer question. Uh, Oracle Dow layer. has an investment there. Uh, I mean, Ash has an investment there. I was going to talk about that, but we didn't get to it. So, okay. And do you want to say the second one now, or do you, you want to get to that after your response to that? Just go ahead and do it now, Ash. I think, yeah, let's go ahead and do it now. All right. Chainlink. Uh you know they've they've become a standard for oracles, and I think we're going to see a bunch more approaches. Uh, I, I don't know what the particular was it. What was the particular going beyond? Yeah, what was it? It was going. He yeah, was looking at like it was going NFTs. I think. Well, what was the last part of it? Yeah, I'm not sure. Oh well, well. So I'm here. Let me. They can reload computation. Going to computation. Okay. Uh, I think Oracle, you know, the think about what Oracles really are. You're bringing off-chain data into, you know, an on-chain environment. Um, how are you doing that? Are you doing a, you know, sort of decentralized way? Uh, yeah, what are the data sets? You know, what needs to go on-chain? What are the applications? Where does the compute actually go? Where those trade, where those, you know, those sort of queries uh, being settled, and you know, does Chainlink go down to the base layer, the settlement layer? Uh, I don't know. I think you know we were talking about Ethereum earlier, and 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 then you talk about like you know Near and Polygon and you know some of these other chains that are dev friendly, and you know you just heard Jeff talk about Rarible and building a top Rarible and you know sort of building an application directly there. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't have a direct answer. Is Chainlink going to be a competitor? I, I, I don't know. Is it hard as an investor in AP3, API3 DAO? Yeah. Is it, it seems, I've done a, I've tried, to, I haven't written about it, but I've done a little reporting on this. It seems like it is hard to get clients if your name doesn't end in link. Am, am I wrong about that? <laughs> I think they're doing great. I mean, they have, API3 has a ton of integrations. Uh, you know, they're, they're doing, they're working, working across a bunch of different, you know, sort of sectors and all these things, bringing in the right, you know, bring a bunch of different data on chain and, and then having just a community of, of these, you know, sort of nodes and machines that are, that are running these oracles in a decentralized way. Uh, you know, they've done a fantastic job, but, at, but I think look at scale, right? You know, API three is still early days. Uh, that was for context, you know, let the investment at accomplice all these things. Uh, you know, you look at Chainlink's price and all this stuff and obviously it's done massively well and the standards that they've built. And I think they've done some really impressive work there. Will it go to the compute layer? Uh, I think it's going to be difficult, but you know, there's a lot of things that, uh, are going to happen over the next few years. So maybe the whole pie grows up, but, um, yeah. And Chungus, just cause I dig, I dig your robot voice. What do you have your second question ready? No. Okay. Well, let's go to, all right. Thank last you. one. I'll, I'll check back with Chungus in a second, but let's go to clockwork rainbow, um, ordained dudist priest. <laughs> What's up I, clockwork. If you need a dudist wedding, I got you. All right. Uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on. Um, uh, I, I'm a I'm a founder, or I'm looking to uh, be a founder. I'm, and and so in that regard, I've got two questions for for you guys. The first is, what do you think about the future of um, you know true credit under collateralized lending? Um, you know, true debt being issued on chain. And second, you know, as a as a young founder, um, you know, what would your I guess top advice be as when it comes to raising or when it comes to building out what does an mvp even look out look like in this space um, just a few 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 concerns confusions i've always had so okay so uh founder in the space and then we can get to the first one 
Um, sure. Yeah, I think like things to look out for. Like I think you want to surround yourself and you want to work with people that love what they're doing and that you can really vibe with, right? I think surely uh, working with people that you know you're from a resume standpoint like makes sense. I think that's just the wrong way to think around things. Um, I think you want to approach problem sets in, in, in ideally an unbiased manner and then figure out where you develop biases and, you know, where you get excited and obviously sort of looking out for market needs and, you know, sort of new behavior and all these things. Um, and then, and then I'm assuming that relates to what you're building. And I think like, uh, under collateralized loans is something that no one has in the crypto native sphere has necessarily figured out. Right. So yeah, I think it remains an unsolved massive type use case. Um, you know, so I think that's, we want, if I wanted to get in touch with you uh, regarding this, uh, regarding like startup, what would be the best way? Twitter DMS. The Twitter DMS. Okay. Thank you. I'm responding. Yeah. You and I are just the opposite. You know, I, it never ceases to blow my mind. I have my entire bio is just my email, and people still constantly DM me, and it makes me... It email makes, also works. I'm on email, ashedacrylic.co. You know, emails are always open, either one. It's great that you're open. Um, so we've got a couple more requests out there. I think I'm going to cut it off, though. I like to keep these at about an hour, and we've gone a little bit over. Um, thanks a ton to Ash for coming yeah, thank on. Thank you, Brady. I think this was a great, I, I had a good time. Uh, hopefully yeah, you did too. I enjoyed this. Yeah. We covered a lot of grounds. I feel like there was some good insights that came out. So, uh, I got to learn about swivel. So that was cool for me. Um, for folks listening, I try to do these every Tuesday and Thursday. That has been a little off of late cause I was moving. Um, and it's going to continue to be a little bit off. My next one is actually tomorrow night. Uh, that one could be a little bit spicy. If you were interested in the web three side of this conversation, I'm going to be talking to, um, uh, Mark Nadal, who's the creator of gun, the database for freedom fighters. And Mark is really anti crypto. He thinks the decentralized web is fantastic. And the last thing it needs is tokens. Um, so we had a private conversation about that a while back and I wanted to talk to him more a little bit publicly. So if you like the Web3 conversation... Yeah, show you, up for the Q&A. Yeah, up. <laughs> show up for that one, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, it'll be really interesting. Um, but uh, thanks, everyone, for being here. This will be on Spacecasts uh, in the next couple of days. A lot of their good podcasts on the Spacecast feed as well about all kinds of interesting topics in tech. Um, so you should check out those others as well. Um, thanks to Ash. Thanks to everyone who listened. Thanks to folks who asked questions. And uh, I will see some of you, hopefully, tomorrow night and the rest of you on the feed as time goes on. Peace. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.